0: So, um, Cam challenged us a couple weeks ago, uh, or I guess it was last week, Cam and Ben, on, um, on the idea of coming up with a lens for the way that you approach the whole new year. And um, that's something that I think is, is a really interesting practice, because it kind of locates you at the beginning of the year in a way where you're saying, like, will this theme carry me through to the end of the year? And so it it assumes that it's not just you kind of coming up with something in the moment, but inviting God or by God's spirit, um, coming to kind of a moment of understanding that this might be a theme to lean into. And so I'm not sure if that's your jam or not, or if you've done that, or if you've made space and time to do that. But in my own experience, sometimes that's been like a, a process of like journaling or something, and something comes out like, and I am really sucking at this. And so I want to beef this up in my life. Or sometimes it's like a, a verse or something that like just seems to have some resonance in a unique way at the given time. Or it might be a, an event in my life. This year, I'm, uh, I've got like a forerunner. I haven't committed to it for sure yet. But I think I'm picking a, a poem. And it's a Hebrew poem. Um, and it's found in the Old Testament in the Psalms. There it is. Um, and it's in Psalm 42, it says this, and if you, if you need one and you don't want to do the work of finding one, you're welcome to borrow mine. Okay. So you could use this for the year. Here's, here's, uh, the refrain of the poem. So there's three stanzas in this poem and you have to work a bit at these kind of poems because they were written a long time ago. But that doesn't mean that they don't have things to say to us now. Um, They were written in Hebrew also. So there's a bit of like lost in translation sometimes. But I think if you work at this one, there's nuggets. There's certainly some for me. So in verse five, we hear this refrain that repeats a few times. And I think this might be kind of the keyhole into the poem for me for 2022. Why my soul? Are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope In God, for I will yet praise him, my savior and my God. You know, things are dragging on. Things are like continually under pressure. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my savior and my God. There's there's an invitation there that I'm not sure in every area of my life in 2022 without God's help. I can really live into. So maybe it needs to be my phrase or my word or my poem. Uh, When I was in um, my teens, my late teens, I think it was 19. I ended up, I guess it was 18. I ended up in Spain on New Year's Eve. And some of you've heard this before, but on on New Year's Eve in Spain, they love to party like that for sure but they also had this neat practice in the family that I was hanging out with of going to church at uh, like 1130 and gathering as a community. And then like me barely understanding anything, the the girl that I knew from Barcelona was kind of translating as we went. And she said around 1155, she said, okay, they're they're saying that from 1159 to midnight, we're all going to be dead quiet and think about the previous year. And just kind of reflect on it. Go over. Actually, I think it was the five minutes leading up. So 55 to on the hour. are just going to reflect on the previous year. And then nobody's going to say anything when the clock turns. And I'm like, okay, well, that's weird. Because I'm used to the ball dropping and everyone going crazy. And, you know, people looking for someone to kiss. Which would be weird in that context. So that made sense to not do that. But um, then the next five minutes would be the beginning of your year would be reflecting on kind of how, how you want things to go in the coming year. And so I, it's still early enough in the year that I'm still asking that question. And looking back on 2021, um, I loved the, uh, the bit that Jim Gaffigan did. And it's on Netflix. If you're looking for a laugh, I'm not endorsing the whole thing as like your pastor. Let me just say that. Okay. But there are some funny moments. And he talks about like uh, the experience of 2021 reflecting back, he says, you parents will understand this one. Okay. And if you're not a parent, I think you'll still get the drift or maybe the whiff is a better way of describing it. He said, you know, in the middle of the night, when your kid wakes up your baby and they've filled their diaper and you're like super tired, you're, you're fast asleep yourself, but you know, you got to go because there's no, no way the crying's going to stop until you've cleaned the baby's bottom so uh you uh like picking my words here so you you go and you clean out the baby's diaper and you get the baby all settled down again which can be a nightmare and finally you you are at the point of that you know like fragile moment of handing the baby off to the crib which often like starts the whole process again and it's as you set the baby down you hear the baby fill his or her diaper once again, right? He goes, goes, that is 2021 for me is this constant setting something down and the year filling the diaper once again, just over and over a freshly cleaned filled diaper once again and again and again. And, you know, I kind of relate to that, that there's this, this hope that we we've had where it's like, Oh, Hey, and then diaper time, you know, like refilled diaper. And it's, it's uh. I guess something that's good to laugh at because what else do you do? Like, I guess you can get kind of depressed. And I think many of us have, um, when you look ahead though, when you flip to the next year, it's funny because as I've been listening to folks think about 2022, you hear this sort of like deferred hope or this, uh, hedging of hope where it's like, you know, so-and-so saying that this is getting better or that's getting better, or we might buy this date, but do you really believe that? Like, I I don't think I can believe that. And you hear people sort of hedging their hopes. So it's like, I want to have hope, but everything in my previous experience is predicting another full diaper, you know? And so it would be stupid to have hope. It would be unwise. It would be, it would be naive even to hope that some of the things that have been happening in, in, recent times would have a different outcome. So this this poem, I think, sets up kind of how I want to talk about a new series for us as a church. And it also launches us with a lens into the scripture I want to look at today. And so I want to just go through the poem, um, not every line, but just to give you kind of the flow of what happens in this poem. Because I think it's a poem about somebody being in exile. And maybe not literally like, you know, a historical exile in the Babylonian kind of captivity. People kind of argue about that. But uh, at least you get the sense that the person here is feeling removed from something that used to be great. Something that, that used to be really significant and awesome. And they're longing for it. And they're hurting about it. The first five verses are this depressed space that the psalmist is in. Um, as a deer pants for water, I'm, I'm chanting for you, God. I'm thirsting for you, tears, and so on. And you can read this on your own. And just spoiler alert, I'm operating under the fact that 42 and 43 are one poem. So it's two psalms, but it's one poem. And the third stanzas is in the second one. It moves into the next part where it's this theme of kind of remembering a different time. So if we can go to verse 6 um, and on. Okay, we go eight, seven, eight. I like it. Okay, my soul's downcast within me. So I'll remember you from the Jordan. I'm not where I was at the heart of my time in communion with you, God, but I'll remember you from my exile, from a place way far off. I remember what it used to be like. How many of us can relate to that? There was a used to be like this in my mind that that sort of is calling out to me as the center of my hope or the place I could come back to. Um, Deep is calling out to deep. There's significance in my memory of the connection I had with my God. And then this familiar refrain, why, verse 11, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for yet I will praise him, my Savior, my God. We turn the page to Psalm 43, and we get kind of the, the third stanza. You see the same refrain at the very end, which kind of is the reason people link it to one poem. But it's this cry that the psalmist is making now for vindication, for um. For He's angry at this point saying, I've been surrounded by people that I don't want to be around. I'm in this exile mode where the things that are precious and good are being kind of spit on. Um, We see it kind of come to a head here where he says, vindicate me, my God, plead my cause against this unfaithful nation. Rescue me from those around me. They're deceitful. I'm surrounded by a bunch of liars. I'm surrounded by wicked people. I'm just sick and fed up. And in verse three, this powerful Old Testament image, send me your light and your faithful care. Direct me out of the hole that I've found myself in. Like throw me a bone here, God. Give me something to follow my way out of this despair like place and this familiar refrain why my soul are you so downcast why so disturbed within me put your hope in God for I will yet praise him my savior and my God so over the next six months we are going to dive into one overarching theme as a church we're calling it the good story and you're going to have one of these little nifty books that uh was more than just Vanessa and me. A few of us have kind of weighed in together on putting this together. Vanessa doing a a lot of the um, labor of the actual making of the book. But we should have them out by next week. And it's a way for us to um, try to unify people, to have like something where we literally can be on the same page. And the good story is about looking into this idea of gospel and mission, but in a fresh way, in a way that maybe widens or enhances our understanding of what we're really talking about, where we're wrestling with, is there still goodness that we're finding in good news? Is there a good news story that still captures us or captivates us? And so we hope that over the next few months, as we hit it from a bunch of different angles, and we hear from a bunch of different voices, that in a time where there's lots of bad news stories, that there would be a good news, hopeful story that creeps over, creeps is maybe the bad bad choice word, that, that comes over us as a community. And so my hope is that you will find good news in the next six months. And as Aaron mentioned in the announcements, we're going to read a book together, anyone that wants to. Um, I don't know, you might be able to get it as an audio book if you're not a big reader. We, I haven't even checked that. But it's called The King Jesus Gospel. It's a book by Scott McKnight. And it's kind of challenging the idea of what the gospel is. And um, it's not saying that the way most people think of the gospel isn't the gospel, but it's saying that there's a way bigger story that invites us into goodness that might catch us off guard and might encourage us in ways that are really refreshing. And so I think if you're interested in reading that along with us, we'd love if you did. And we're going to do a a book club on the 4th Uh, Sunday or the last Sunday, I think of every month. So sometimes it's the fourth, sometimes it's the last Sunday. We'll be sure to make it clear as we go along. But this month, it's the last Sunday of the month. We're going to do it in the penny at nine o'clock, just get together and talk about the book for people that want to. It's kind of an experiment. It's kind of like, we'll see if people want to do that. I think it'll be good. I think it'll be good for me and good for us. Um, And you don't have to come to everyone. You can come to some. Um, the boundaries are pretty open in this group. Sorry. (laughs) All right. So um, as we, as we turn the page to the reflection in this, in the scriptures that I really want to sink our teeth into today, can we quiet ourselves for a minute? Can we get in touch with our self-awareness and ask ourselves a bit of questions of what's going on inside as we approach God's word today? just be quiet together on zoom or in the room here we have an opportunity to hear from god's spirit and god's spirit seems to speak pretty custom to each of us so let's let's just be be quiet together for a sec Father, as we um, enter, and uh, I guess we've already entered, but as we press forward in this new year, and as we um, are tempted to hedge our hopes, we invite you to widen what qualifies as hope or widen what qualifies as answered prayer. We invite you to give us understanding of what's going on inside of us and what's going on inside of the collective us as we wrestle, uh, really as a human race, with something that's affecting all of us. We acknowledge that there's all kinds of reasons to be um, at each other's throats or to not understand each other. But we know that despite all that, that you meet us collectively, hopefully drawing us to good story, good news. And so as we head in that direction, overwhelm us with understanding revelation of what is good about this news. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so I know we, uh, we might be like, okay, I'm ready to get on with this beautiful day. But let's let's take some time together to, to get into this passage, okay? Because I think there's some really important and good um, angles to launch how we're going to talk about this whole series here. So um, the passages in Luke 24, it's one of my faves to picture. I, I don't know why. I think it's just so full of details that are easy to grab onto. And it's one that um, it's, it's just weird. It's a weird story that has like some twists and turns that uh, if you've heard it before, you know, they're coming, but if you don't and you, and you get a sense of like what it would feel like for the people in the story, then it, then it's kind of, um, provocative. It's, uh, it's interesting at a deep level. It's like, well, what story is it? Okay. So Luke 24 sets up like this. The, the crucifixion has happened. It's uh, Jesus has been killed. Hope has been dashed. Folks are feeling like the thing they thought was finally coming to culmination that the thing they've been waiting for hundreds of years for, and we're almost 100% sure was underway, is over. So it's like um, the hopes and dreams and longings of generations and generations have raised to like 90% certainty that it's finally happening, and then it's done. And so there's this darkness and this weight over the place where all these events are unfolding. There's this collective groaning of like another season of waiting. The diaper has just filled up once again. And it's like, here we go again, still waiting for the promises of the Messiah. And it's just not here yet. So in the midst of this, there's these two people walking on a road. And Luke tells the story. It's, it's after Um, the resurrection morning. And so over here in your mind, you're picturing this scene with an empty tomb and rumors are getting out that weird stuff is happening with Jesus' body and stuff, but nobody's really putting together much about it. And then these two folks are walking on the road and a mysterious uh, person saddles up beside them for the seven walk journey to a town called Emmaus. Anybody heard this one before? It's a gooder. Okay, so we'll pick up the the story at verse seventeen. This mysterious person, of course, we know is, Je- excuse me, is Jesus. And at verse seventeen, he asks them, "Hey, uh, what what are you discussing together as you walk along?" Or probably more something like, um, "So what are you guys talking about?" You know, what are you what are you talking about? And it's a kind of a dumb question for. How it's, it's sort of like on the moment, uh, on the morning of 9 11, um, where everyone is talking about what's just happened when the Twin Towers are taken down, that two people are, are upset together and someone comes along and says, What, what, what are you talking about? And their answer is kind of like you, what you would say in that context. They stood still with their faces downcast. One of them, named um, Cleopas, remember that, asked him, Are you the only one? Like, seriously? the hopes of our nation for generations that we thought finally was kind of coming to a head. Are you seriously the only one visiting Jerusalem that doesn't know the things that happened in these days? Like you, my friend need to get out more because you, uh, you don't know. And Jesus kind of plays dumb, which I think like it's a great story, right? To picture and to imagine what things are those, you know, (laughs) <laughs> it's like, um, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He's like, hmm, interesting stuff, carry on. Um, he was a prophet. Okay, listen to the list they give us. He was a prophet. We were waiting for a prophet. We knew the Messiah would be a prophet. We've been waiting and longing and yearning and agonizing for the prophet. He was a prophet, check that one off. He was powerful in word and deed, And, you know, like lots of Old Testament prophecies popping that the Messiah would be be powerful in word and deed. And before God and all the people, the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. And this is where we really get a sense of why the downcast spirit, why the downcast soul. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. We thought finally the suffering and the time of exile, this ongoing agonizing in our waiting for things to be good again, would finally be here. And it's not. And how do you seriously not know this? And so there's there's this sense that you get that the folks that were around when this was all going down saw a really good ending to a long awaited story that was this close. It's like, we had our chance. We were this close and maybe we should have done more to like see it through, but does the Messiah need us to see it through? And they're just grappling with how all these things that were about to happen that were, they were sure would, would mean that the Messiah had finally come and Israel could really exit their exile. Because remember, folks, they had, they had been exiled. They'd been captured as a people. They'd been taken off to, uh, by the Babylonian conquerors. And finally, they'd been released and sort of let, let go to head back and rebuild their temple in Jerusalem. But they still considered themselves a people in exile because they were under rule whether it's the Persians or the Romans or the Romans at this time or the Greeks, they just they, they felt like until our king is the king, until the Messiah is represented as a king that sets us free from all these foreign rulers, we're in exile and we'll just remember the glory days. But until we get back there, we're not considering any of this good news until the Messiah truly restores the kingdom of God. And we can see all of the implications of that poured out on our nation. And they thought they were this close. So we turn uh, to the next, next passage. Um, so they, uh, you know, they, they talk about not only... Are their hopes dashed, but they say, and and some weird things are happening, like the tomb, just disrespectful things. The tomb that Jesus is buried in, he's missing, and we're just confused, and they're walking along the road just trying to wrap their heads around what in the world's going on. And so Jesus says to them, how foolish you are, which, you know, like a second earlier, they were like, how do you not know something? He's like, well, how do you not know something? How foolish you are, and slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken which it's like is it is it kind to tamper with people's hedged hopes you know they're like don't even go there jesus like we are this this close to asking you to walk with another couple down the down the road because we're not ready to hear that right now hope is patronizing right now so skip the pat answers and stop telling us, you know, I'm, I'm guessing that's how they would feel. Did not the Messiah have to true? suffer these things to enter his glory? Red Didn't the Messiah have to go through all this? And Jesus is pointing to a, a storyline that has been the storyline of the nation of Israel for hundreds of years that almost came to its fulfillment. And he's saying, hey, let's not say almost Maybe you just don't get it. Maybe you just don't get the end of the story. Let me tell you some things. And beginning with Moses and the prophets, Jesus explains to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. Who would not have wanted to have been on that walk? You know, where he just goes through Moses and the exile and how it connects to this big, beautiful story of God being saving like with his people and restoring things in his creation. And he he works his way through all these familiar stories that the Israelites would love and hold on to as little nuggets of what hope could look like. These vindication stories where God comes through and saves everybody and sets everybody free. And it's like time and time again, there's this predictable pattern where the nation is is in trouble, where they're struggling, where they repent. And then there's this this incredible moment like the Exodus where seas are parted and the whole crew leaves slavery and it's this new chapter. Where's our new chapter? How do you have a new chapter with a dead messiah? And so here we find them on the road, Jesus saying, "It's not an almost good story. It's just a story you don't understand." And it's it's turning right now. It's the turning point as we walk on this road. Things are shifting. The promises are being fulfilled. They're just way bigger than you can wrap your head around in the moment. So how do you Go to time? the last part of the passage. Okay, we'll save that actually. Okay, I've got an email um, <clears> there. <throat> when, I, when I think about gospel uh, and I think about like what I've grown up with or what I've heard on TV or, you know, like when I hear people describe um, the gospel. I, I, uh, to borrow a friend's phrase, I get a bit itchy and you know, I get like, uh, cause I feel like there's a conversion sales pitch around the corner, you know, like, let me tell you some things that you need to hear. And then there'll be this transaction we do together. Then everything will be good. And you just feel like, I don't know if that really makes everything good. And you know, I think it makes some things good for sure. But it sometimes doesn't feel like the kind of depth that we're seeing in the exchange between these two people as they walk with Jesus. And one of the things that we want to tackle over these next six months is looking at how when we reduce the goodness of the good news story to this sort of transaction or to like a very narrow experience of what what God can do for me that we, we actually miss out on the whole context and the beauty of the setting that enables that to happen in the first place. And it's sort of like, a friend of mine said it this way, it's sort of like, um, has anyone here not seen Star Wars? Because there's a spoiler alert coming, okay? This is your spoiler alert. It's kind of like um, saying, the only thing you need to know about Star Wars is that Darth Vader, is Luke's father you know and so it's like sorry if you didn't know that okay (laughs) I warned you but it's like we Star Wars fans believe wholeheartedly that the only thing we really the only scene we watch um, is the moment where Darth Luke I am your father Cause that's all that matters in the whole story and really like the whole story, the, the rest of it's fluff building to just this moment where Darth is Luke's father, you know, and that's, you know, that is the main point that is kind of like the turning point of the plot, uh, in that particular, um, movie, but it isn't the whole story, is it? And it's like missing some pretty grand themes in like the, the battle of the empire. And, uh, some of the inner relationship stuff that's happening between people and the and the the goodness and evil sort of quest and what if the gospel is like that where we've so focused on just the cross part of Jesus life that we've missed not that that's insignificant it is the luke i am your father moment in the gospel story like it's a big deal and it's very very important and it is like in my life, probably one of the most important stories in my early years, especially that was life changing. And so I'm not minimizing it, but I'm saying that the, the stuff around the Luke, I am your father story is what makes it such a big moment. And if we focus so much as a Christian church on the Luke, I am your father moment, then we don't get the nuance that makes it such good news. And so We think we need a good six months to kind of wrap our heads around all the ways other parts of it make that good news the central part of a big good news story. And we're not going to watch Star Wars, but we maybe should. And so I want to end because we've got lots of time to talk about this. I want to end with this closing scene uh, in 30 and 32, the one that you had up there. So this, this couple, and it's something that, that I learned in getting ready for today that I found really interesting, and you guys can look this up if you want, but Cleopas is mentioned in another spot under the name Clopas, but most scholars think it's the same person because it's a derivative of the same name. And Clopas had a wife named Mary who was at the cross scene. And so a lot of people think that Clopas and Mary were the two walking down the road. So not two dudes, but a married couple that were heading home. Mary having been at one of the many Marys, having been at the cross, and Cleopas or Clopas as uh, one of the close disciples that is really affected by this. And so this married couple heading away from this event in Jerusalem is met by Jesus walking alongside them, giving them fresh insight as a family and I don't know that it necessarily makes a huge new point but it definitely shifts my imagination and so um I actually got an artist rendition of this and I forgot to mention it earlier so let's throw them up there this is not uh how I meant to but more and more people I'm seeing uh, are displaying this walk to Emmaus in an artistic way so this is an icon version of that but I want to go to the next one um which is this this is a picture of, of uh, a modern day take on the road to Emmaus. And there's this artist by the name of Barry Moats, who's doing all kinds of biblical stories and he's do- setting them in like modern day America or modern day North America. And this is one which it's hard to make out here, but um, it's, it's a very ordinary couple sitting with uh, the, the man who represents Jesus uh, having a conversation um, in a moment that kind of shifts their whole experience of life. So with this picture in our heads, or you sitting at that table in your head, let's put up the last few verses. When he was at the table with them, so I skipped ahead, uh, he finished kind of dropping the truth bombs of what his whole life meant and how the whole nation of Israel thing fits together. Cleopas and Mary, if we... Believe that that is who he was talking to, are hearing all this. And then Jesus is like, Well, I'm going to carry on down the road. And they say, No, please come in, have supper with us, hang out with us, because we've got questions, understandably. And and it's at this moment where something shifts. When he's at the table with them, he takes bread, he gives thanks, he breaks it, and he begins to give it to them, which, you know, that's his routine um, in lots of places in scripture. He takes it, he gives thanks for it. He breaks it and he gives it. Many people think it's kind of a, a short form on what he does with his life. Takes human life. He gives his human life. It's broken and it's shared. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. Which is also weird, you know, that they're like, that's, that's Jesus. No wonder he knows so much. And then poof, he's gone. And so Mary and Cleopas, who know the community in Jerusalem, this is why I think it's, a, it's, it's a, an interesting detail. Guess what they do? Well, guess we're doing the seven miles back to Jerusalem because we got something to share with the disciples. So they head back and they flesh out some of the story. Now, let me ask you this question. And it's one I think we could think about over the next six months. Is this a gospel story? I'm not giving my answer, but it rhymes with mess. <laughs> okay, I'm actually going to finish now. I'm sorry this is a bit long, but um, when you're trying to set up a series, it just takes more time, okay? So this is, this is it. Uh, Tom Wright um, writes this about the Emmaus story, and sometimes someone says it so well that you don't want to screw it up. So I'm just going to read it. He says this. The slowness of their heart and the lack of their belief in the prophets had not therefore been a purely spiritual blindness. Okay, so he's talking about the two people on the road and their inability to see that this was the culmination of things they were waiting for. They just didn't get it yet. It had been a matter of telling and living the wrong story, or at least the right story in the wrong way. But now suddenly, with the right story in their heads and in their hearts, a new possibility. This excites me. A huge, astonishing and breathtaking possibility started to emerge before them. Suppose the reason the key would not fit the lock was that they were trying to open the wrong door. Suppose Jesus's execution was not the clear disproof of his messianic vocation, but it was the confirmation of it and the climax of the story, and they just couldn't see it. Suppose the cross was not one more example of the triumph Of paganism over God's people, but was actually God's means of defeating evil once and for all, and it had to look different. Suppose this was, after all, how the exile was designed to end, how sins were to be forgiven, and how the kingdom was to come. Suppose this was what God's light and truth looked like coming unexpectedly to lead his people. Back into his presence. I think it's a gospel story, and I'm excited to uncover all kinds of good news stories as we head through this year together. So just to close, let's be quiet with one another and ask ourselves if our, art, or if our hearts are open to fresh goodness. In a story that we think We've gone around and around on so many times, there couldn't be anything new. Let's pause and just weigh our um, willingness to be confronted with this good news story again. God, we have lots to process as we come out of a tough season, or maybe don't come out of it. Um, We ask, along with the psalmist, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why disturbed within me? And we hear this answer, and sometimes it feels like something we should hedge, something that's patronizing, or something that is too pat in its answer. Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. It's such a leap to embody that when we're feeling downcast. But we know that the goodness of the good news is that sometimes the problem isn't with the story, but it's with our angle on the story And so we invite you to show us new good story angles over the next months. We pray that it would show up in lives that live good news stories. In your name, Jesus. Amen.